That was beautiful, wonderful introduction to the sermon, which is on waiting in God's providence. Uh, that song was one that they had prepared for us this morning. Waiting on God in the Tower of Faith is what we're talking about. We're in a series of sermons on the, uh, an enduring or persevering faith in times of trouble. And uh, sermons through the book of Habakkuk, which is the story of his life, so to speak. And so we, uh, we are in chapter 2 in the first three verses this morning. Is as uh, we climb with Habakkuk into his tower of faith. Hear then the word of God. I will take my stand at my watch post. I will station myself on the tower. And I will look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me and he said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. For if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning into your presence to know you, to love you, to worship you. Even as we have lifted our hearts in song and in prayer and as we have read your word and given of our abundance, Father, we turn our hearts to you again, longing for you to speak into our lives, not just to bring information, but that you would bring life and strength and transformation as we walk through this world where we find ourselves strangers and aliens far from home and longing for the day when all will be right. Come near and speak to us afresh. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus tells a uh, parable, one of his parables that, uh, in the Gospels is about four different soils. And the four soils in, in that parable represent four different hearts and the state of people's hearts. And so he tells of the four soils, and the first one, if you remember that parable, is he says is just hard-packed earth, like a you know, well-trod path, just hard as a rock, and the word finds no reception in that ground, in that heart. And then he tells of two middle soils, two middle soils that there is some kind of a reception, there is some kind of a response, there, something gets started, but it doesn't last long. <clears throat> in the second soil, it says that the sun rises and the heat uh, scorches the plant because it has no root, it withers. And then he tells us that this, the rising of the sun represents the suffering and the persecution that we may go through in this life. And it says when that one comes under that kind of trial, that kind of suffering and persecution, it, uh, it withers. In the third soil, it's, it's pleasures and cares of this life and in this world. It's the riches of this world. And it says that, that the heart gets entangled in those things, riches and pleasures and the cares. And it says and they, they literally choke the life out of, out of the faith in that one. And it doesn't endure either. So you've got this one soil that never gets started. You've got two soils that get some kind of a start, but the stuff of life, whether it's in our suffering or in our pleasures, uh, intervene and they don't endure. They don't persevere. And they fall away. And then we have the last, the final soil, he says, that, that receives the word and produces a harvest, a hundredfold. And the reason that it does, because it is a soil that has gone through the same things that the middle two soils did. 
sufferings and the trials or whatever persecutions it has, the pleasures and the cares and the riches and the temptations of this life. And it's saying that this soil, though, has persevered through those trials and temptations and has endured unto the end. Jesus' point is that if our faith is going to persevere to the end, if we are going to make it, he says our faith must learn to suffer and to be tested and to be tempted and to persevere in a love and a faithfulness to God in the midst of it. Because when things don't go according to plan, when we are surprised by suffering, and most of us are, when it comes, you weren't planning for it, it comes and it surprises us. It's, we don't know what's around the next corner. And when we are surprised by suffering or by times of temptation that we find ourselves hard-pressed, the enemy takes those moments to whisper things like, see, God's not real. Or God's not good. Or see, he's abandoned you. Or worse, he's against you. He's out to get you. And we start to blame God and our minds can go to bad places. In the middle two soils, they go to bad places and they don't come back. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that the definition of faith is this, basically. He says, faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for, the, the assurance of things that are yet to come, and it's the conviction of things that are not seen. So by definition, faith is the conviction of things that we don't see. Like God, in our times of trials and suffering, by definition, faith is trusting God when we don't see him, when he's hardest to see, when the clouds have covered the face of the sun and we can't see it, but believing and knowing that it's there. And we know what it is in its fiery hotness, in its light, in its warmth, in all that it is. It's believing, trusting when we cannot see. It's the conviction of things not seen in the moments of trial. This is exactly what Peter, when he writes in the first chapter of Peter to a church that was suffering and to a, a, a people that were hard-pressed and feel like they're in the midst of, of the fire. And he writes to them exactly these things, right? He says, you've been grieved by various trials. It's not any one thing. And you know what that is like. It could be this, it could be that, you know? If it's not one thing, it's another thing, you know? And the variety of things that, that have tried us, and he says, so that the tested genuineness, right? And so the tested genuineness, proven genuineness. I mean, it's one thing to say that it's genuine. It's another thing to put it to the test, right? I might say I have the strength to pick up a rock, a big rock, and, but nobody knows that I do until I go over and pick it up until I actually have it in my hands, and you say there's a tested, it's been tested, it's been proven. In fact, in the lifting of the rock, it actually may uh, cause me some, some difficulty and may actually make me stronger in the lifting of the, the rock. And this is the way our faith is, a tested genuineness. We don't know whether, whether it's true, what it can endure until it does. And in enduring, and when it does stay faithful and our eyes are fixed on him, it actually grows stronger in the process. It's a tested genuineness of our faith. It's more precious than gold, though it perishes as it's tested through fire. And that's that image of the trials and the temptations that we face are often compared to going through the fire. Just like gold goes through the fire. 
But genuine gold is purified by the fire. It's refined by the fire. It has a proven genuineness. It comes out with a little of the dross even removed in the process of going through it so that it may be found in the end having proven genuine under suffering and temptations we don't turn our backs on him we don't forsake him we don't start having hard and bitter thoughts about him but when we trust him and love him through the fire and whatever we come out it results in praise glory and honor to the one whom we have trusted it is to his praise and his honor And that's when he says, the very next verse, he says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, in the midst of, though the clouds have covered the face of the sun and you don't see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. And where does it take us? Perseverance to the end, the outcome of our faith, which is the salvation of of our souls in the end. And we're filled with, he says, a joy, an inexpressible joy that is full of glory even in the midst of things. Why? Because we believe the truth of who he is in all of his promises that are ultimately and finally we know true. Testing, proving, and refining our faith. So how does our faith endure then? How do we go through the fiery, the, the, the fiery trials that we may have to go through of one shape, form, or another? Well, Habakkuk gives us a little picture of this, and we'll just dive in here for a minute and just take a look at the text and see the flow of it and where it goes. And we're going to do one and two and sort of set up. Next week is the rest of what God has to say. Verse 1 is what Habakkuk says. 2 and 3 is God responding to him. And then really the rest of the chapter 4 and on is God responding to him, the actual prophecy and answer that he gives. And we'll look at that next week. But for now, we'll just kind of see the shape of it and really focus in on verse 1, which is Habakkuk's response. And he says, I'm going to take my stand at my watch post. I'm going to station myself on the tower and I'm going to look out and I'm going to see what he will say to me. Right, Habakkuk has received what is quite literally the worst news of his life. In fact, it's probably the worst news of, of, of a lifetime in the whole people of God in, in the life of Israel. It's the worst news possible. That an enemy, a conquering enemy is going to come and is going to devour our nation. So Habakkuk receives this news and we see that his response is that he, that he climbs into a watchtower. He says, I'm going to take my stand and I'm going to wait for a word from God. I'm going to station myself. Right? I'm going to fix my position. I'm going to take up my post like a good soldier, a good whatever it is, and I'm going, to, I'm going to take my post and I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to wait on God and see what he has to say to me. And then he says, and, and what answer I will give concerning my complaint. Now that verse is, you know, everybody I read on it, it goes two different ways. And some say that, you know, so I'll know what I may answer concerning my complaint. In other words, some, some think it is his answer. So he's anticipating, he's a prophet, he's got to bring this news to Israel. He's got to go and tell everybody else what God said. 
And he's not sure the answer to his questions. He's not sure the answer to his problems. And so he is, he is waiting for this word from God. He's raised his complaint and his confusion, and he's waiting on a word from God so he'll know how to answer you know, the naysayers and the complainers and those who are clearly not going to like what he has to say. Others say that, it's, that it actually is not what I will say, but I'm going to take a look and see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. And it just fills out that, that thought. So it could be either one uh, in that regard, but the Lord does answer him. And he says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he who runs, uh, that he may run who reads it. For still the vision waits. Wait for it. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. So the Lord tells him to write it down and to wait for its fulfillment. And in the writing it down, he says to write it down clearly. Some of the language here is difficult, this idea, so that he who runs may read it. You know, that's a, some have said, you know, may write it in big letters, and obvious letters, so it's like a billboard. You know, and if you're driving by, you can read it, right? The guy running by can read it. Uh, others are saying, no, this is language that's used elsewhere, and it's the idea of the eye running over the page. You know, so that he who runs his eyes over the page like um, God's eyes going to and fro in the earth, you know, that he who runs it over, it will be clear and manifest what God is saying to his people. But that's the idea. Write it down. Make it clear. Make it easy for everyone to get what is being told to you. Because in verse 3, the fulfillment is surely coming. It's going to happen. It's coming quickly. My word is true. God does not lie. And so the fulfillment is on its way if it seems slow. And often we are an impatient people. And he says, if it seems slow, don't worry about it. God's timing is perfect. It will come. It will happen exactly as God said it would. He has ordained it. And his word will be fulfilled. And so that is the passage that we have, and we'll look into next week, as I said, what, what more God has to say on the subject. But let's back up to Habakkuk in his tower. I love this image. It's been picked up uh, a number of times in ways. This Habakkuk, who is, has the worst news of his life, and he's wrestling with what this means for him, perhaps for his family, for his people, uh, for his, you know, his entire life is wrapped up in this thing. And how he responds, this image of him climbing up into the tower and standing in the ramparts and looking out. And there's some debate, you know, again, is this a literal tower? Is there a tower in the town and he's going to climb up? Even if it's a literal tower, the whole thing is metaphorical, right? Because when he gets up there and he looks out, he's waiting to see, you know, God's not going to come riding across the plain, you know, to the tower. So when he, when he looks to see what God will say to him, you know, and so there's, it, it's even, I think, is, is more metaphorical when he says, I'll climb in the ramparts, you know, I will, in other words, my faith, in my faith, I will rise up and look to God for the answer. I will go and stand on the ramparts and look out to see what God will say to me. So it is his response, his posture toward God when he gets this difficult, painful news. In other words, he adopts the posture of an enduring faith under a trial and a test. And I think we have a picture here for ourselves of how when we have bad news, when we face difficulties or go through the fire, and it helps us to know how to posture ourselves in the midst of it. He climbs to the ramparts. 
He says, I'm going to stand at my watch post. I'm going to station myself. I'm going to put myself in that place. And I'm going to look to God. And I'm going to be vigilant. And I'm going to wait for him. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I know that it's coming. But I'm going to look to him and I'm going to wait. If we think about this tower that Habakkuk retreats into, I want us to think about this metaphorical tower. I believe it is a tower of truth, of humility, and of prayer. And I think that is part of the answer is how are we going to endure? How are we going to persevere to the end to make it through this life that is full of all that it is full of to the last day when the Lord calls us home? And it's truth and humility and prayer, which is where he goes, right? This is a tower of truth. He stands in the knowledge of who God is. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't look away. He doesn't blame him. He doesn't, he doesn't cop an attitude. He looks to the God he knows. He knows who he is. And so he, his faith rises up to stand and wait for him. He knows that he is sovereign. And he knows that he is good. And he knows that he loves him. And he knows that he loves his people. He knows that we will not die, as he said last week. These are the things he knows about God. Proverbs 18.10 says this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. I believe that's Habakkuk's tower. The name of the Lord. Right? The righteous man runs into it, into this metaphorical tower, the name of the Lord, and he is safe. Right? What is the name of the Lord except that all that is true about him? Right? It's the truth of who he is. Then we can hide and run into his name as a strong tower because he is sovereign and he is good and he loves us and he is for us and he is not against us and he is our savior and he has sent his son and his spirit and he has plans for us and, and he has made us great and precious promises concerning the end, the name of the Lord, who he is, the truth of his faithfulness and his power and his grace and his mercy. You can go there when you're in pain when there is suffering, when there is trial. We can run into it, run into the name of the Lord and be safe and find a refuge and know that he is good, that when Habakkuk takes his stand, when the clouds roll in, he trusts who God is. And the name of the Lord is a strong, impenetrable tower. It's a tower of truth. It's a tower of humility. To run into the tower that is the name of the Lord also is an act of humility, is it not? He submits himself to God. He submits himself to his word and his ways. He goes, and, and though he doesn't like what he has heard, he still he goes, and he postures himself before the only God who is. And he knows that whatever God is going to do on the other end of it is his glory and his purposes and his Ultimately, the ends toward which all things are moving. And even when he does not understand, he bows the knee. He goes into the tower and climbs it and essentially bows the knee. This is what Peter again tells us in the end of his letter, 1 Peter 5. He says, to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Right? The mighty hand, the providence of God. 
The mighty hand that orders all things, that ordains all things, and is at work in all things. This God, through whom, whose fingers everything that comes into your life comes through. Under that mighty hand, he says, humble yourself. Right? Don't raise the fist, but bow the knee. Humble yourselves under, under him, and in the proper time, he will exalt you. Those are the promises that we have. That day is coming. We know that that day is coming. And if we would humble ourselves, though, and trust and believe in the day that he has promised, we can cast all our anxieties on him. Because in the tower of truth, we know that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he is for us and not against us. Submit yourselves. Cast all your pain and all your confusion on him. His suffering teaches us how much we need him. How much we need him to bear our burdens, to strengthen us as we wander through these things. He cares for us. Do you believe it unconditionally, always, that he is for you, no matter what happens, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you are suffering, no matter what you are challenged with, do you know that he loves you? And if you bow the knee to cast your anxieties on him and trust him under the hand of his providence, and whatever it is he has done. And so it is a tower of truth and of humility, but also of prayer. And that's what he is doing. He's talking to God. He's interacting with God. He's talking to God. He's listening to God. That's the definition of prayer. Right? And he goes and he talks to God and then he waits to listen. Oh, be quick, slow to speak, and quick to listen to your God. Slow to become angry. God has his attention. That's the beauty of that picture, isn't it? I'll climb the tower, I'll get on the ramparts, and I will look to see what he will do. God has my attention fully and completely. Right? He is, I am fixed, postured towards him, trusting him, waiting for him, listening to him. Psalm 37, 8 says, fret not yourself. Fret, you don't know, means to be anxious, to be fearful. Fret not yourself. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Why? Because it only tends to evil. It takes you to the wrong places in your head and in your heart. It takes you to all the wrong places. And so, as Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about anything. Fret not about anything. It only tends to evil, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. The posture of Habakkuk. By everything, by prayer and supplication. Don't like it. Don't know what I'm going to do with it. Not sure I can endure it. Not sure your people can endure it. Not sure how this is all going to work. But God, you are my holy one. You are my covenant God. And so by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we make our requests known to him. And it says we cast our cares on him as we let those things Pour out onto his lap and into his mighty arms. It is there then in the midst of whatever, whatever it is that's making you anxious, which is real. It's not to say these things aren't real. and They're not painful. But there's still a peace that can pass all understanding and, and defy the circumstances. Why? Because then he guards our hearts and our minds in Christ our Savior, because when we give Him our full attention and we cast all our cares on Him and we, we 
posture ourselves to hear and receive, we do. He does love us. He does meet us. He does strengthen us and encourage us and, and grants us a peace that passes understanding. Habakkuk prays and he lays out his burden and he climbs into the tower and, and he looks expectantly to God and he waits. God tells him to wait. Because he often tells you to wait. We don't like to wait. If there are four people in line in front of me, I don't like it. I walk into the barber shop and the chairs are full of people waiting and I don't like it. I don't like to wait for much. When I'm loading a web page and it's, that thing turns for more than like five seconds, I don't understand. What is the holdup? This is real. <laughs> this is my, you know, we don't like to wait. And the Lord who calls us to wait, and sometimes our waiting will be till the day we stand in his presence. And he takes us home from this world. We may, Hebrews 11 chronicles all these people and its judgment of these people is that they, these people died in faith, not yet having received the promise. But they died in faith. And the promise was theirs. And the day will come, which is the whole point of that and all of the scripture really, is the day is coming and the Lord is faithful. And if it is, seems slow, right, if it, if, if, it, if it seems that it's not coming in the time that you want it to, he says, wait. It's one of the most practical applications of the doctrines of God's sovereignty and his goodness is the call to wait. To humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Cast our cares upon him and sit at his feet. And wait in his presence and let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts as we trust him, as we wait for his fulfillments. Once we have settled these huge issues in our souls of his sovereignty, his providence, his goodness, his love, and his favor toward us in Christ, when we can settle these huge issues of the soul, we can rock back and wait. And let the Lord be the Lord. Let God be God. Once you've prayed and made your request known, my friends, we have to learn to leave it there. To rest and trust in Him. And so to abide and enjoy the peace that comes from casting our anxieties onto Him and leaving them there taking our eyes off the problem and fixing our gaze like Habakkuk did on the Lord and awaiting for him. Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on this passage says, if you have committed your problem to God and go on thinking about it, it means your prayers were not genuine. If you told God on your knees that you'd reached an impasse and that you could not solve your problem and that you were handing it over to him, then leave it with him. Don't discuss it. Leave it with God and go on to the watchtower. We must never allow ourselves to become submerged by a difficulty and shut in by the problem. And down there at the foot of the tower where we're just looking at the bricks and we can't see the forest for the trees, he says, climb the tower. Cast your burdens on him and then climb the tower. Jones says, you may as well not pray if after giving the burden to God, you turn around and take it back up. 
How do we unburden ourselves to a God whom we can trust? Psalm 33.20 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. So we wait for Him. And when He climbs the tower and He's waiting on God, what does He want to see? What is it that He is looking for? And He says, I climb the tower, I station myself there, and I look out to see very specifically what He will say to me. He wants a word from God. He wants to know God's word on the matter. He wants God's perspective. He wants God's truth. He wants, instead of listening to the lies of the enemy, you've been abandoned. He's against you. He's, you know, he's, he's out to crush you, that he's, he's not good, or he's, you know, somehow you've, you know, not deserved it, you know, or whatever the lies are. What he wants is to see what God has to say, right? He wants to hear God's word to feed his soul on the promises and the truth that only comes he wants to take every one of those thoughts captive to the word of God and so he goes looking for that word waiting for that word seeking in the one place you know where where the truth can can shape these things and set us free and give us peace Psalm 30, 130, verse 5 says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And it is in his word that I hope. His word is true. His promises are true. That what he has said about himself is true. The promises he has made to me, they are true. The promises that are mine in Christ, they are true. My soul waits for the Lord. I may wait on into eternity. But I put my hope in his word. His word that is true. He forsakes the the voice of the world. It's so-called wisdom. It's complaining. It's lies. It's blasphemies. He climbs the tower of truth in faith and humility, praying and waiting. Fixing his eyes on the Lord. My friends, you know that when we fix our eyes on God's truth and his love and his faithfulness, that ultimately his truth and his love and his faithfulness has a name. Right? It's become incarnate. That when we fix our eyes on his word and his truth and his love, we are fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because God reveals the depth of his love and the depth of his faithfulness and his willingness to suffer and his willingness to bear our burdens and his willingness to do for us and his willingness to do everything that we need for Life and hope and grace and peace. He reveals the willingness and the resources of his grace in the person of Jesus. Does he not? And so when we fix our eyes on him and in the fullness of his revelation, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12. And you know that these two verses, they are the immediate conclusion of the the chapter of faith. Right? Chapter 11, the hall of faith, where he describes the life of faith and people who have lived it and some who have saw great things happen and others who suffered terribly. And he says, with all of this faith who, who's trust in God, and he says, therefore, with this great cloud of witnesses, Habakkuk among them, he didn't make 
11. I don't know why. It's not, an, it's not an exhaustive list, but I think he deserves a place in the hall of faith, in this cloud of witnesses, and Habakkuk, one of them, in the midst of this, who, who fixes his eyes. And so we, since we have this thousands of years of witnesses of people who have trusted in God and not been disappointed, then let us lay aside every weight and every temptation, every sin that clings so closely, and to run with endurance, with a perseverance to the end, to run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He will Enable us to persevere. He will be our strength. He will be our grace. He is the one who comes near in the power of his spirit and grants us peace and rest and strength and allows us to stay faithful in the midst of the fire. It was this one who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Look to him. Meditate on him. Think about Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that ultimately led to the cross so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Consider him. He now, he says, despising the shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of God. In other words, he humbled himself under God's mighty hand in the course of this life and endured what he needed to and ultimately was despised, rejected, killed, crucified. But now he's exalted to the right hand. He, he humbled himself under his mighty right hand and was exalted in due time. That is our promise. That's the promise of 1 Peter. That is our promise. That if we also would humble ourselves under his mighty hand, that the day is coming when we will be seated with Christ in the fullness. Look to Jesus. Consider the one who endured the cross and the shame for us and for our salvation, having humbled himself. Look to him not just as an example of endurance through fiery trial, but look to him now as the one in whom we can abide and bear much fruit as a resource and a fountain of life and grace and strength. Look to Jesus in faith, knowing that he can give us what we need. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, that the one who waits upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. They will have strength to persevere. They will rise up. They will not fall. Isaiah 25, 9, earlier in the book, he says, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God, and we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord, and we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let us trust in his word. The final soil, the good soil, the last soil that produces a harvest is the one that is receptive to the word of God, right? And that's the point of the whole peril. It receives God's word, the promises, the truth of the gospel that is in Christ Jesus, and it receives it, and it rests on it, and it trusts on it through the heat of the day, and through the heat of suffering and persecution, and through the temptations of riches and pleasures and all of this life, and it, and it endures, and it perseveres. 
having looked to the Lord Jesus for our salvation? Have you looked to him? Have you fixed your eyes on him in this race of life? Have you looked to him and bowed the knee and trusted him as Lord and Savior, as the one that God has provided, who suffers with us, who suffers for us, bears our sins in his own body? If you haven't already bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to do so, to follow him with your life, to follow him through life, to stand on his promises and the hope that we have in him. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we do come confessing that apart from your strength and power, apart from your grace, we will not endure. We desperately need you. Oh, will you teach us, Father, to lay our burdens at the base of the tower and to climb into the strong name of our God, to trust who you are and to trust your plans for us and to trust that your promises are true and trust that you can enable us to endure and to stand in the day of trial, that you will indeed bring about a harvest. Father, help us to endure to love you and to trust you and to walk with you. When the waters are deep, the fire and the flames burn, teach us to trust you. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and conclude as we sing.